You're listening to the Jubilee Montreal podcast. Jubilee Montreal is a Christian church located in downtown Montreal that exists to share the good news as a spiritual family for holistic transformation. For more information on Jubilee Montreal, visit us online at www.jblmontreal.org. I must confess that apathy is what I've been going through, what I've been living personally for quite some time, without putting a name on it, without putting my finger on it, because it's quite tricky. And uh, let me give you a interesting definition that I found. Uh, I'll come back to the verses later, don't worry. We won't forget about them. Please keep them in mind through the whole conversation. So what is apathy? I found that in psychology today. It's a, a kind of guy who's a little bit wiser than me that wrote that. For whenever you feel that something vital is missing from your life, yet lack the motivation or drive to pursue it, you're afflicted with this curiously emotionless emotion. So apathy is not laziness, by the way. It's not depression. It's something entirely different, and it's quite well put, emotionless emotion. It is an emotion. It's something that you feel, but you feel that you feel nothing. It's, that's why it's curiously put. And um, let me try to explain you how it works, why we all face some sort of apathy, some at different level than others, and they might be different outside source to it, I would say, but at the end it always gives the same kind of structure, it's always kind of the same thing. So let's go with this. So I heard that smoothies were very good for health. So I decided to make myself one. It smells good. And actually, one thing I realized, because once I went through a whole bag of chips by myself, more than once, I won't lie to you. <laughs> And the thing, I feel like I'm not the only one. And the, the thing is, it fills you up. If you are hungry before eating a whole bag of chips, not like the dip small bag, but a whole bag of chips. That's for the people listening. Sorry for the crunches. So if you're empty, if you feel like you need food, then you eat a whole bag of chips. At the end, I promise you, you should feel full for quite some time. And um, that's what we do. We take something that's been advertised as filling us up, and let's say that there's a lot of advertising going into the chip business. We saw many of them. Doritos is quite famous for their chip business. It's okay. If you want some, there's still going to be some at the end. <laughs> I thought of you. Yeah, so since it fills you up, your brain, that's what it's trying to do. Since you're a baby, your brain is just trying to fill you up. It senses electrical signals that your body's sending your brain, and your brain interprets that as, I need something. And it will find anything to fill you up. And if you're a toddler, it might be a quarter that's on the ground, but <laughs> you will get anything you can to get filled up. 
And we know for a fact that chips works. So why not make yourself a small smoothie out of chips? Oh, we can fit a lot more chips in there. But I'll take that as a start, let's say. We don't know how it's going to finish. And that's it. We know that we get filled by chips. We know, you're all wondering if I'm going to drink it, huh? <laughs> I see your faces. I'll wait for later. We'll have a tasting after if you want. Because, because we know this works, we're often going to the quick way around. We're going often to the thing that it's a fast answer. And yeah, I had like some more interesting stuff to make myself smoothie, like an apple, strawberries, a banana, some nuts. I had a few other things just around that were there that were going to be able to fill me up in a healthier way. That are, is going to give me more energy because if you think about eating chips fills you up and your brain makes that connection, then the only thing you really need is chips. And if you only eat chips in your entire life, that's the only thing you eat. It might not be a long life, by the way. <laughs> think, put yourself in that situation. Like, that's a real couch potato gag, like really. You're sitting here full of chips, so you're full, but your energy level is zero. I won't even have the energy to go get there. And that's one thing about about apathy is you don't even have the motivation to go there. And on top of it, I'm already full of chips. Even if you make me a nice smoothie for me and you bring it to me, what do you want me to do? Where do you want me to put it? I'm full. It doesn't go in. And this is what apathy is, is you're full of something that's not what it should be, honestly. So you don't feel that desire and because the people that don't have God in their lives, and there's quite many of them in this world, they have to find something else to fill them inside. Because a void, a vacuum cannot stay like that. It, it draws things to it. Like It cannot just stay empty. It, things are going to it. And, and that's it. If you are empty, you're going to find something to fill you up, whatever, whatever it is. And there are so many marketers, there are so many people in this world that will try to find something. It could be work, money, entertainment, food itself. It can be so, much, so many things, and some of them are healthy, honestly. Potatoes, it's not bad in itself. But if it's only that, that it's going to ruin it. So it's not about the fact that entertainment is bad or that uh, food is bad. It's not about that. It's the fact there is something lacking in my life at, at least, probably in yours too, that could make your life more passionate, more enjoyable, more uplifting, more living, more energetic, more all of that. And that's what I've been missing in my life. I've been missing, I had, I've been going through and still up today somewhat because I've been working hard on this for the last uh, little while, so things might start to change now. But I've been going through a spiritual apathy for quite some time. And uh, I'll move the proper aside a bit and uh, just come a little bit closer, guys. And yes, there's more strawberries if you want some, but probably not for everyone, but have a few more. I want to talk to you about 
uh, a very known person, you probably all know that person, very important, kind of a hero. I want to talk to you about me. Uh, <laughs> because someone that's how I saw myself. I was the hero in my own life, and it, it was not necessarily that bad to that point or something like that. But I want to share some part of my story, just a quick bit, and then we'll move to the other guy there. So it's been over 12 years, I think, since the last time I did that, prepared the whole sermon, uh, told it to a bunch of people, like over 300 people last time I did it. And it's been a good 12 years since I did that. And during that same year, the last, before I, I, I done that for last time, during that last year, I went like on mission trips. I went to, like in my young adult life, I went to Haiti, then I went to Tahiti. And I even went twice to Tahiti, the second time for a whole month. And God used me in incredible ways. Because the only thing he told me is, Simon, be available. And say, okay, God, I'll be available. And I went where it led me. I went to Bible school. I was studying to be a missionary, to be able to go to the end of the world. And going to Tahiti is literally the end of the world. It's very far. I was passionate. I was alive. One summer, I spent two nights of the whole summer of about three months sleeping at home. The rest of the time, I was always elsewhere doing God's work. And was so, so alive. My life was not boring. There's not a lot of people that had, like, I feel such an interesting life. Because, like, I did theater. I did, like, 13, 14 years of theater. I did plays where I saw people, and we toured all over Quebec. And we saw people coming to faith, coming to get to know God, and having their life changed. People coming after and be like, there's something. I want that. There's something more. And... And when you do something, whatever you do in your life, when you do something and you feel it has an impact, you feel it changes, you feel it touches people, it reaches out and it's out of yourself, it's always powerful. It's always like you might just sleep two hours, but you feel awesome anyway. It's a little bit different just eating the potato chips. And believe me, I've been doing that for quite a while because a bit like that guy will speak about in a few seconds, like, I felt I was at the top. And I saw myself as that, not necessarily great leader, but still, I saw myself as a leader, as someone who could do things, who could achieve stuff. And I saw myself without, I was detached from a part of myself. I was detached from a part of my emotions, a part of my life that I didn't want to face, I didn't want to address. And I was, a part of me was also flawed. I didn't really put a lot of attention to it, which brought me to fail. I tried stuff, it didn't work. I pushed too hard, I pushed too far, and I committed sin, and I went with my life where I should have gone, and it all crashed, it all crumbled, it all fell down. And the higher you think of yourself, when you fall, the harder you fall. And then I thought, okay, I'll just take some time, build back the foundation, which seems healthy. And I think it is. Then, oh, okay, I think I've worked hard on my foundation. I think things are going right in my life now. Okay, now I can just take a time of rest. Uh, that feels good. Now it's a time of rest. But what rest stays rest for 
from my case, 11, 12 years, that's not rest anymore. At one point becomes apathy. Let me share Moses' story because the reason I wanted to talk about that is because it was speaking to me personally, apathy, I, needed, I, need, I knew I needed to talk about it, but also starting to think and what I could share, who I could bring to the topic, what verses should I bring and all of that stuff. I started to think about Moses, probably God put him in my mind, and because I was not reading or I didn't watch the Disney movie recently or anything like that, so I'm feeling that God put him in my mind, and I saw a lot of parallels, and hopefully you'll be able to see a few with my life, but most importantly with your own life. And if Moses is not enough, I'll have another character I'll bring up later that uh, should be able to help you identify to where you are. So Moses, if you don't know him much, uh, in the Bible, we talk often in the Old Testament about God being God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, kind of patriarchs. Uh, and Jacob's name, God changed it to uh, Israel. Same as the country is the descendants of Jacob, so the Israelites. So I'm just going to make some room because I'm going to sit lean and some people don't see me, so I'm going to make some room around. Sorry. So... The Israelites. The Israelites are the people, descendants from Jacob. We have one of them. So the son, direct son of Jacob, one of them is Joseph. Joseph, uh, by God's work, miracles, went outside from Egypt. He's not even, he was not born in Egypt, had nothing to do from Egypt, whatever. And eventually went to Egypt and raised up to be the Pharaoh's right hand. He became the vizier of Egypt. Became, there was no one else higher in hierarchy than the pharaoh itself. He was the number two of Egypt. And he was there mostly to help prevent from a famine that was coming, a big uh, and a very tough one that was going to, to last many years, seven years. So he was there for that particular purpose. And being there, being at that time, being able to make those reserve, reserves, being able to prep for it, uh, he got also the blessing of being able to invite his father, his brother, sister, the whole family. There were about 70 people that came to Egypt with him, and they were able to survive the big famine. They were not just able to survive, but they even multiplied. They had babies. They had like bigger and bigger family. It continued, and they continued to grow. And because it was the right hand of Pharaoh, like they didn't went into part of Egypt where it's mostly desertic. They went to a place where they could actually farm and they could uh, have uh, sheep and uh, they, they were able to, to become somewhat wealthy and to develop and to grow and to grow and to grow and to grow a lot for a few hundred years actually. And to the point where a Pharaoh came and didn't care much about what Joseph did so, so many like a few centuries ago. He didn't care about that. He was like, okay, now there's a lot of Israelites in Egypt, and I need to protect myself. If they, start, if they think and they start to realize how many they are, they might start to do something, and they might be overthrown or something like that. So he wanted to protect himself mostly and decided to enslave the Israelites. And when I mean enslave, I'm really talking about like the whole whip and everything, like starved and... Uh, it was not a good condition. It was very tough. And even through all that pressure, that oppression, they were still able to continue to grow in numbers. They, their families were still growing. They had a lot of kids, up to the point where Pharaoh realized it was not enough and needed to take a way more drastic step and decided to kill all the baby boys, the newborn. So what he did, he forced all the mothers 
well, all the people pretty much, they visualize to throw their baby boy in the Nile River, where it would be swollen by the river, eaten by crocodiles and all that stuff. And it's about thousands and thousands of baby boys that were slaughtered that way. Moses should have been one of them. That's where his story starts. His mom, giving birth to him, saw him and had, like all the moms, I'm sure, but that one were able, was able to hit him for three months. And after three months, she was not able to hit him anymore. Obviously, the clothesline would have started to show that she had a baby in the home and uh, probably to cry in the night. And, but at three months, there was no way for her to hit him anymore. So she had... She was forced to do the same as the others to throw the baby in the river now, the Nile River. What she did, though, she took a basket and uh, she made sure it was uh, no water could get in and she put baby Moses on the basket and she put it, uh, the basket in high reed on the riverbank so it would not move and be flown away by the current. It would be kind of a safe place. And she prayed and she hoped that was the only thing that she could do for someone to rescue, to have passion, compassion, to rescue her baby. And someone did show up. But just before that person, well, and I'll go, that person who showed up actually was Pharaoh's daughter. It happened that she went there to bathe, just like that. Might be, I think God might have had a little thing to do with it, but Pharaoh's daughter went there to bathe and saw the baby had compassion, heard the baby cry, and like, oh, poor baby. So she had passion for it. And, and during the whole time that that happened, Moses' sister stood aside and looked and wanted to know what was going to happen with her little baby brother. And so she was around. And when she saw that there was that compassion, that there was a hope, that there was something happening, and she ran to the Pharaoh's daughter and like, hey, do you by any chance need someone to nurse that baby? Because I know someone. So Pharaoh's daughter said, yeah, sure, go. And Moses' mother was able to get back, Moses, to get back her baby and to nurse him. And she was even paid for it and protected from any danger. She had the blessing and the protection of Pharaoh's daughter so she could nurture and nurse her baby. And we, a lot, I read a lot of commentators and a lot of going everywhere with it, but it's mostly up to the age of between three and five years old. She was able to keep the baby at home until the age of around three to five years old from what most of the people say, which is quite cool. But at that point, she had to give the baby back to send the baby to the palace, which she did. She didn't have much of a choice there. And she did, and she sent the baby back. But the baby knew. Baby Moses knew who, who, his, who was his brother, who was his sister, who was his mother. He knew he was Hebrew already. And even later in the Bible, when it talks about him being reunited with his family, there's no surprise there. He knows who his brother is. He knows who his sister is. There's no big like, oh! Like, there's no like wow moment or clalamash moment, we'll say in French, like moment where you, you have a TV host trying to reunite the parent and the daughter and the kid and... He knew who he was. He knew his identity. Throughout all of his teens, adulthood, he knew who he was. Which makes you realize something different because from that moment, he went to the palace. He became 
spoiled, overly spoiled. Like, can you imagine going from like a place, even if he had more means because Farrell's daughter was helping them, even if they had more means, it still like was living a dump. Like, it was not a nice place compared with the palace, at least. And there he had all the banquets and all the education and all the, the event, the, the live shows, the everything that you can think that the pharaoh could could create to entertain the kids. And when they grew up, like all the education, and he was the prince of Egypt. He became the prince of Egypt and was treated like a prince, not to be the one who was going to be king next, because there was other people in front of him for that. So that was never the political, political like tug of war or something like that. Or It was just being a prince, being happy of being a prince, and life was good. It was so good that for 40 years, he saw every day, give or take, his people, the Israelites, being enslaved, being tortured. So for 40 years, he was walking by, seeing a slave master beating up an Israelite, another one, another one, another slave master doing that. He saw that for 40 years, walking around and seeing his people his brother, his sister, his mother, same people that was his people. He could have been, he should have been there. Actually, he should have been dead. And he saw that for 40 years. All that torture, all those things happens. And what did he do about it? Nothing. When you talk about apathy, that's where it was. He was so entertained. He was so spoiled. He was so... Occupied with other stuff too. He was not just playing around. Like he learned how to be a leader, how to be one of the leaders that were going to lead a whole nation after. Like he learned practical stuff also. It was just not fun and play. But he was so occupied, so preoccupied. His mind was so busy. His stomach was so full of chips that he didn't have time to care for what was important. So when you think of Moses, you think of the end, of what's happening at the end of him rescuing his people. But for 40 years, he walked by and never cared or at least there's nowhere in the bible or any reference that make us believe that we actually cared or do anything but like a lot of people after trying to eat chips for 40 years there's a point of view that start to feel sick feel that there's something missing in life and eventually thankfully moses realized that there was something more and that's when he decided to do something that's when he decided to react to create a revolution he wanted his people to be freed. He knew that he was learning. He knew how to be a leader because he learned all of those things. He was already a leader with the, the Egyptians. So he was there at the top of the Egyptian line of command. Like he was there. He knew what he needed to do. He knew how to take an army, how to take a lot of people, and the Israelites were a bunch, and to take all of those people and to unite them and to do something powerful that would change the face of the world, something very different, and knew that he needed to act. It was a burden, a fire was finally burning inside of him, and the apathy is the lack of that fire, and finally, finally he had that fire burning inside of him, decided, I'll do something, I'll change the world. I'll become the hero. So went out. And he saw at one point a slave master beating up an Israelite. So he went to his defense and even avenged him. He killed the, the slave master. He killed the Egyptian. He buried him. 
and thought, finally, they'll see I'm starting a revolution. Finally, they'll see me as their leader. The next day, he went out. He saw two, uh, two Israelites fighting together and said, why are you fighting amongst, amongst brothers? And one of the Israelites looked at him like, you're not our leader. Who appointed you leader over us? At that time, at that moment, Moses realized that his view of himself was his view of himself. No one considered him to be that great leader, that person that would, was going to be able to bring everyone together. He realized that it was not backed up by the Israelites. He had no one in his back. And he just took someone else's life. He just tried to create a revolution. He just tried to do something. And not a Pharaoh was going to know. And Pharaoh didn't know. He did learn that Moses was trying to create a revolution. was trying to change what was happening to break free the Israelites. So Pharaoh wanted Moses to be dead. He wanted to kill him. Moses realized there was no one to back him up. And he had no other choice than to flee. He fled to Midian Desert. So he was 40 years old. He fled to Midian Desert. He tried to do something. It didn't work. He realized he was somewhat powerless, incompetent, not qualified for the job. He realized that there's no point. There's no, I tried and I failed. I'm a failure. I can't do it. So he lived in the desert for another 40 years. Got married, had a family, but he lived there for 40 years. So until the age of 80, he had this life without passion, without purpose, just going with the motion. He was full. He had his dose of chips every day. He was full. Like he had life. Like he had a wife, he had kids. So that keeps you somewhat with some level of good thing in you. It was just not crap eating all the day, like chips all day, but he had some of the good stuff, but he didn't have the mission that God had given him, the passion, the fire burning inside of him to do something about it. So can you imagine the first 40 years of his life, he spent them doing nothing about the fact that Israelites were suffering. And then another 40 years, Spent not thinking, not doing anything about his brother being tortured, tortured, his sister being starved to death. Like they were all starving. They were all beaten up. They were all slaves. And didn't do anything. He had his life. I have my life. I have my wife. I have my kids. I have my job. That's it. That's enough. That's enough for me. And it was. It was. He kept him going for 40 years. So he was 80 years old when God decided to show up to him and pretty much said, do you have enough? Is this enough? Like, are, have you like rested enough? Remember when I told you that I've been resting for the last like 11, 12 years? That's pretty much how I felt my life was compared to Moses of just being at a place where, okay, I fell, so now I need to take some distance, build up my foundation again, build up my character maybe, uh, deal with some things in my past, some, some of my, the things that I have a hard time with. So he went through all that, but then didn't do anything after, then he rested. He rested for 40 years, another 40 years. He was 80 years old. When God showed up, he showed up 
in a bush caught on fire God showed up in fire and often God is seen as being fire through the form of fire because it brings life like you see the fire burning inside of of him uh, when he tried to when he tried to do something like that fire that keeps us alive that that's related with passion so he said to Moses okay Moses go let's do something about it there's a lot of people suffering do something but Moses said to God where am I that I could go to Pharaoh or that should bring him the children should bring the children of Israel out of Egypt so he argued with God no I cannot I cannot do that I'm a nobody and uh, God take a few of the verses that uh, is fo that follows just to try to convince him and then Moses said to Lord oh Lord I'm not eloquent I cannot I, neither before and since you spoke to me so pretty much I was not eloquent before now you're trying to send me but I'm still not eloquent can you hear me so uh, I'm slow of speech slow of tongue some say even some people say even like he had speech impediment or he was like me trying to speak in English or something like that <laughs> And God continued to argue him down and to the point he said, okay, God, but please send by the hand of someone, or whoever you else, whoever else you may send, do it, do what you want to do, but do it with someone else. And yeah, he didn't want to take any of the responsibility, any of the risk. He was scared to fall again. He was scared not to be up to the task. And I know how it feels. Uh, maybe you do too. That's not what I wanted to do. Sorry, I'll let's play again. Thank you. It's funny that he just said all of those things, huh? because read the last verse from Act. In Act, we talk about Mo uh, it talks about Moses. Moses was educated, educated in all the wisdom of the Egyptians. We know that, and was powerful in speech and action. He was a man of words, a man of passion, a man of action. He could do anything and he could convince you and could order people to go and to do stuff. And he could order an army and stuff like that. But in the previous verse, you say, oh God, like, I cannot speak. I cannot speak. I'm not eloquent. Uh, uh, oh God, who am I that I can, I can go to Pharaoh and do that? And do you see the difference? Like, it's not even hum being humble. It's not even realizing who he was. Because before his fall, that's who he was. Just then took the right, the right means for his action, the right means for what he wanted to see as a result. He tried to do it by himself instead of having God with him and all that stuff. But he was, and he is that man. And God tries to recall to him, hey, I'll go with you. You'll be that man again. I'll go a bit fast with that part. So, a need for a Messiah. So Moses was a slave, and all the Israelites were slaves under Pharaoh. So there was a need for a Messiah. A Messiah simply means a savior. Uh, he found his calling. He decided to set the captives free. That was easy. Israelites needs to be freed. That's what I need to do. He acted on it. He tried to start a revolution. But he stopped along the way. He fled to Median Desert, being ashamed of his failure. And not like he put his head in the sand and never took it out for 40 years. But he was empowered. God came to him with fire and sent him back. And he decided, Moses, because it was still Moses' choice, decided to act on it. 
So he decided to go back to set the Israelites free. And he lived a powerful life. Because during that moment, eventually he was able to bring the Israelites, with God's help, obviously, out of Egypt. And over a million people, over a million Israelites were set free at that time. And when I say over a million, it's probably closer to two million. But I'll keep it small. Because they say 600,000 men, but that doesn't include the children, that doesn't include, include the wives, that does not even include the elderly peop like people. It just includes like the army-ready men, 600,000. So you can imagine it's probably closer to two, uh, to 2 million people, but I'll just keep it there. So over a million Israelites were set free from Egypt and its death. If that did not resonate with you, I'll just go fast with someone else. It's Peter from the New Testament. Uh, you probably heard of St. Peter, same guy. You probably heard Simon Peter, it's also the same guy. <laughs> He had a few other names like that, but Peter is just a fisherman doing his own thing, living his own life. Being a kid, went to the school. His mom told him, if you study very hard, you'll be able to become a rabbi. If you study very hard, you'll have someone that's going to, to see it and going to see a purpose for your life. It's going to raise you up. And drag you with, uh, drag him, drag him with you. A rabbi will take you with him, and he'll teach you all the other ways. And you'll be someone. You'll have meaning. You'll be someone important. That's what his mom, his dad told him for sure. And he didn't have the grades. He didn't make the cut. And so he had to resort and go back to go to fishing, learning that trade. Peter, the Israelites were under Rome oppression. Actually, for three-quarters of a millennium, give or take a few years, they were under other governments' oppression. They were still not free. So Peter under Rome oppression during that time. He found his calling to set the captives free. Jesus told him when he saw him the first time, come and I'll make you a fisher of men. I'll help you take people out of their misery and save them from their lives. So you'll be able to set them free. He acted on it. He joined a revolution. Jesus is still pertinent today. The Christians today, it's, a, it's not just a movement. It's such a revolution of way of acting, of thinking, of living life. And when Jesus died, he was obviously very, his dream and his vision of the future and the way he saw it coming, the revolution saw it coming, it died with it. Then Jesus came back to life. He resurrected. And not just he came back to life, but he went to see him and the others and talked to him and talked to the others. And he said, go back to Galilee. I'll meet you there. So he, go back, he goes back to his hometown, pretty much. And Peter goes back to his hometown. He just saw Jesus resurrected, talking to him. That's quite something. And what does he do? He has no idea what he's doing. That's the truth. He has so, so much no idea that he goes back to his old life. He goes back to fishing because that's, in case of doubt, go back to plan A. Like, in case of doubt, go back to the thing that you knew how to do and you were good at it. And he just didn't know what was next, what was up to, but he already had a mission. He was already called to be a fisher of men, but he went back to fishing fish. Jesus called him for something way better. 
And during the few days between seeing Jesus resurrected from the dead and having to wait until figuring out what was happening, he went back to his old life. Although he had a calling for something way better. But Jesus came back again and told him what he wanted him to do again and told him to wait in prayer in the in Jerusalem and he went there and waited in prayer with a bunch of others and they prayed until something like tongues of fires and you remember the fire from the bush and fire being something that God's often represented as came down to him so he had a personal encounter with God at that moment he received fire inside of him so he was empowered by it and he acted on it he did act on it because he did set the Israelites free. Because after receiving that fire in him, he went outside and he spoke to the crowd that was there. And over 3,000 people that same day decided to join in and to have this new life, this new experience, this new powerful life. And that was just on day one. It didn't stop there. And we're still all here in part because of Peter and others like him. I'm going back to the first verses. So what to do? Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I've commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the end, very end of the ages. This is the last thing Jesus said to the disciples. And when he says, uh, teach them to observe everything I've commanded you, well, he just commanded them something. So by them repeating what you said, that's pretty much, it just means it's a loop. And the first part, we have to act on it. You just say, do everything I do, and I'm telling you to do this. So they had to repeat, repeat it, to repeat it, to repeat it, to re write it down so we can know what we have to do. Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them everything. And how do you do that? How do you go, what's my calling? What's my thing that I need to be doing? That God has a plan for me. Well, we just see right now that Jesus sent everyone. Jesus wants everyone to be part of this. He wants everyone to have a mission, to have a purpose, to have a fire burning inside of them. He just wants everyone to have life. The spirit of the Lord is in me. Because he has anointed me, he has sent me to proclaim the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim the freedom for the prisoner and recovery for the sight of the blind and to set the oppressed free. To deliver, to set the oppressed free. That's what we went to set the Israelites free. Now it has been extended to us. And that's still the thing that we need to be doing is to send, to set the oppressed free. And do you believe no one's oppressed here? And yes, I'm talking about the Aboriginal people that feel oppressed by the Canadian government. I'm even talking about the French Quebecers that feel still oppressed by the, the Canadian government. I'm talking about even the Canadians that still feel oppressed by other. Like there's always someone somewhere that feel oppressed, feel oppressed by, yes, the, the legal, legal world, but also feel oppressed 
with sins, with things that burns inside of them that are, are not healthy, that are not what they want. There's so many things in our lives that wants to crush us. And it's true. And we can decide to bury our, hand in the, our head in the desert for 40 years. Or we can decide to act on it. I'd like to invite you to, and uh, Edmund, to, uh, is yeah. to do the same thing as, we have just a few more minutes. I'm not going to drag over much, so that's good. It's good because over 15, 12 years not doing that, I thought I was either going to be done in 15 minutes or drag until 1 p.m. So <laughs> I think we're not too bad. I'd like personally to... Just a bit, yeah, or perfect. I'd like to personally go back to the place of where I had passion, where I had life inside of me before I felt so miserably that I thought I was disqualified or maybe like Peter until my dream was destroyed in front of me was killed in front of me and then I just didn't knew what to do I did, didn't knew what it meant I knew what to do with my life at that point I didn't knew what, what should I do it's what I had planned, what I had envisioned is surely not going to happen, but what's next? And you can decide to stay in a boat and just go back to your previous life and wait until something can happen. But we already know. We already have the scriptures. We already have the text and the word of God telling us. What's our mission? Maybe it will look different from me, from you, will probably not be the same. And that's good because there's a lot of people that feeling oppressed that needs to be set free. And what I want to do is confess my sin personally. I've stopped because I didn't have the motivation, because I was full of other stuff that didn't, was not valuable, was not worth it. I kept myself busy otherwise. I didn't look forward and deeper and I didn't do all the things that I needed to be doing. How to be hungry for more? Eat a little bit less chips. That's going to give room. It's not really that more complicated than that. And being hungry, it's not a fun feeling. And the mind knows the quick way around. He knows if you just eat a bag of chips, you'll be good. You'll be sad. He knows the quick way around. And as long as you do that, you'll be full, but never satisfied. And if you study, it's because you want something more in your life than what you have now. If you work, it's because you want something more in your life than you have now. And most of the time, if you follow God, if you come to church for the first time, it's because you know there's something more in your life that you should have. And, and if you've been coming to church for years, then do you still have that fire burning inside of you? Is it still as strong as on the first day? For me, I have to say it's not. And I repent of that. I'm sorry about that because 
for the past 11 years I could have done so much more with my life and I'm just happy to to have the chance right now to work on that topic today and to not have to wait four years in the desert after the first 40 years in the palace I'm just happy I'm not 80 years old now without having done anything and it's great what he did after and God can use us whatever age whatever place we are and can be the youngest one in this crowd or the oldest one in this crowd and you're still younger than Moses and he's not the latest bloomer that we see in the Bible God can use us that's not a question he wants to use us that's not a question question is are you willing to leave some room for him are you willing to cut off on some of your chips are you willing to to just recommit and say okay I realize that's menstruation because apathy emotionless emotion that's tough to put your hands on it's tough to put your at least it was for me maybe you're smarter and wiser but I was not and it was very hard for me to put my hands on on that so I invite you to close your eyes please and I'll close my eyes too I'm just going to ask you to think of something God has his eyes everywhere he knows your heart and knows you but if this is your first time hearing something like this and if you want to know what mission God has for you what what's a life with God that gives life that gives power that gives passion that gives a purpose that goes beyond herself beyond herself if it's your first time wanting to commit to that to say yes that's what I want in a few moments I'll invite you to stand up and if like me you were once passionate and maybe like Peter you were passionate a week ago when you saw Jesus raised from the dead so it doesn't have to be a long time thing that you've been dragging out for so long but if there's a place in life where you've been more passionate about God about about serving him about finding how you can be useful and used by him I invite you right now like I'm doing right now to stand up keep your eyes closed but if there's more than one person meaning more than me in this room that either wants to say for the first time okay God I want this life that is different is full of passion and has a purpose I invite you to lift to to stand up and if you believe that you were once more passionate you had once that fire burning inside of you even if it's not as long ago as me or as even not even as long as Peter for his week maybe if you want that passion I invite you to stand up and then if you're passionate already if you have a fire burning inside of you and you want more I invite you to stand up and that's just that's just a moment where you're able to say God and that's good for all of us 
God, I don't know, like Peter, I don't know what you have for me. I don't know all the future, all the things that it holds, but I'm willing to risk it. I'm willing to hear what you have to say. And even like Moses, you might argue a bit. No, 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 I can't do that. There's no way I can do that. You might be stuck in that loop for a little while, but it's still okay. Question is, at the end, are you going to act on it? Are you going to move on it? So we all have our eyes closed. And I'll invite the, the rest of the band to, to come for the communion. I'll give you a, a good minute of silence without talking, just the music, just the piano still going, maybe the, joy, the band can join in, join in. So just a minute of silence to personally address God and say something similar to God, it's me. It's been a while. I'm sorry about that. I want to know what you have for me. And I'm willing to act on it. Find your words. But something as simple as that. Thank you for listening to the Jubilee Montreal podcast. For more information on Jubilee Montreal, visit us online at www.jvlmontreal.org.